We're going to just open us up in a, in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. We're here as a church family, and we ask of you that you would continue to show yourself to us in your word. We thank you for the encouragement of being reminded of who you are in our praise. And now we ask that you give us, by your spirit, ears to hear and eyes to see you as you unfold who you are in the scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm Pastor Steve. If you're new to Faith Bible Church, it's my privilege to open up God's Word today with you. And we are in a new series in the book of Daniel. I encourage you to open in your Old Testaments to the book of Daniel. If you don't know how to find that, feel free to look it up in the front of your Bible. If you have a hard copy of the Bible or, or get to it on your e-Bible. We noted last week as we opened our series that Daniel is a post-exilic prophet. And by that, it simply means that his prophecy, his prophesying, his giving a word from God to the people of Israel happened after the exile. If you remember back to your Old Testament history with me, in Genesis chapter 12, it's recorded for us that God called out to a man named Abram. And told Abram that if you will obey me and leave your father's house and go to the land where I will show you, I will make of you a great nation. In Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17, all that promise is repeated. And God told Abram that his descendants would be as numerous as the sands of the seas and as the stars of the heavens. And through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed that we know came through Jesus Christ as Abram's descendant. God took Abram's descendants, the people of Israel, to the land of promise. And right before they were going to enter this land that God had promised them, God, through his mouthpiece Moses told the people of Israel, as you enter the land, if you obey me, I will bless you and you will have peace. But if you disobey me, I will discipline you and a foreign invader will come in and take you captive. Well, Israel disobeyed. And in 722 BC, the Assyrians came in and took the northern peoples of Israel captive. And then over a hundred years later, the Babylonian Empire underneath King Nebuchadnezzar came in and took the southern peoples, Judah, captive. The first wave of captives were removed in 605 BC. And then the main wave of captives were deported at 586 BC. Daniel was part of that first wave in 605, and his ministry spanned about 85 years to the mid-530s. Daniel gives us a picture of God. And in it we see that, that God chooses to place his people, believers, in the midst of a world that's not seeking after God. But he does that for a purpose, to bring glory to himself, to magnify himself. 
as he sovereignly directs history to the time when he will ultimately rule on earth. In the midst of that message that unfolds in the book of Daniel, we see glimpses into the life of Daniel. How God uses Daniel as his tool. How God wants to use his people as tools. And we noted last week that God used Daniel and his three friends because they were unwilling to sin. They were unwilling to compromise towards sin. Well, today we see once again a glimpse into the life of Daniel and how God is using Daniel and his three friends. But today we see Daniel being used of God in the midst of impossible circumstances. And we're going to find Daniel and his three friends faced with an impossible obstacle. I'm going to read the passage out loud. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible and look for what the impossible obstacle is that Daniel and his three friends face here in chapter 2. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, the command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you're bargaining for time. Inasmuch as you have seen that the command from me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there's only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king's demands is difficult. There's no one who could declare it to the king except God's whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. 
Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning the mystery. So that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It's he who changes the times and the epics. He removes the kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It's he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered before the king and said, as for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to the world, turn to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in more than any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. We're going to see in Daniel chapter 2 today that oftentimes God allows his people to face impossible obstacles. And he does it for a reason. A few weeks ago, Barbara and I had about two weeks to spend with one of our granddaughters, a little two and a half year old Emmeline. And after that time has passed, we are still enjoying the time and we are repeating little one-liners that she says. Whenever we would go into a restaurant together, Emmeline always did the same thing. She would start in a very quiet voice and she would say, do you have a play area? 
oftentimes no one would listen to her. And so she would lift up her voice a little louder and would say, do you have a play area? And again, oftentimes she would be ignored, but the third time was there would be no ignoring because she would lift her voice as loud as she could and say, do you have a play area? And so we repeat that, it's kind of fun. The waiter would come to our table and inevitably the first thing they say is, may I take a drink order? In whatever language they happened to start out in, Emmeline knew the routine. And she would always be the first one to speak, always. And she would say, I would like apple juice, every time. Kid loves apple juice. Well, one of our favorite little one-liners, actually one word, that she said just at random times. I don't know what caused it, but just whatever circumstance we were in, she would just blurt out, impossible. I don't think as a two and a half year old, she has any idea what she's saying. But maybe the word sounds cool to her, I don't know. Impossible. Well, I don't think she knows what that means. But we do, don't we? We know what impossible means. We know what impossible looks like. And usually when we find ourselves in what appears to be impossible circumstances with an impossible obstacle before us, we don't enjoy the experience much. But one thing is for sure here in Daniel chapter 2. That God allows us to face impossible obstacles for a purpose. So that's what we want to look at this morning in Daniel 2. In the first phase of this, the first scenario or uh, section of Daniel chapter 2. Just simply shows us that God sometimes allows his people to encounter impossible obstacles. That's what Daniel finds here in chapter 2. The section opens with King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the Babylonian king that infiltrated, who, who came into Judah, the southern tribes of Israel, and took them captive. And it tells us in verse 1 that Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Don't you love that? His sleep left him. In other words, the guy can't sleep. In fact, he hasn't been sleeping. And verse 3 tells us, I had a dream and my spirit is anxious to understand it. Evidently, he has the same dream over and over again. I still have a recurring dream. I have a recurring dream that I'm back in either high school or college and I wake up only to really realize that I have a major exam that I forgot about. And it just, I wake up shaking. Why is it after all these years I still have that dream? It never happened to me once in real life. But what a nightmare. Anyway, he's having nightmares. And, and he's having this dream and it's driving him crazy. He cannot sleep. And out of desperation, he turns to the occult. Look at verse 2, who he turns to. He turns to magicians and conjurers and sorcerers 
And it says, and the Chaldeans. Now we saw that term in chapter 1 verse 4. And there, it's just a broad reference to the race of people that made up the Babylonian Empire. But here it's used in a more specific way. Most likely just as as a reference to like a group of astronomers. Those who again would fit into this category of occult members. That's who he turns to. But he's shrewd. And he knows that they may be tempted just to tell him something to satisfy him. So he puts a twist on his request. He calls this group together and says to them, I want you to tell me my dream and what it means. Well, on first hearing, they pretend to ignore him. They tell him in verse Four in Aramaic, by the way, which would have been the trade language of the day. And actually from chapter 2, verse 4 through chapter 7, verse 28, this whole section is written in Aramaic. They tell him in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. King's not having that. And he comes back and says to them in verse 5, you're not listening to me. The command from me is firm. If you have a King James Version, it says... The thing is gone from me. It almost sounds like Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream. The better understanding of that um, phrase in Aramaic is, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to lose this. This is a firm statement I have made. And so he says, he says to them, listen up. He says to them, tell the dream to your servants and we will declare the interpretation. He comes back and says, the command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb. Your houses will be made a rubbish heap. Whoa. So they pretend like they don't hear him again. And they come back a second time in verse 7. And they say to him, let the king tell the dream to his servants and we will declare the interpretation. Now he's getting mad. And he says to them in verse 8, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time. Inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm. That if you do not make known the dream... That if you do not make the dream known to me, there's only one decree for you. For you've agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation's changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. He's pretty sharp. Otherwise, how does he know if it's true what they're saying or if they're just trying to save themselves? Well, this group of sorcerers and conjurers and magicians come back to Nebuchadnezzar and say, impossible. No one's ever asked this. No king has ever asked for something like that. In fact, only the gods could declare something like that. And the gods don't dwell amongst us. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is furious. And it tells us in verse 12, because of this, the king became indignant, very furious. And he gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. 
Now remember in chapter 1 verse 17, we had read that God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. And Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. So Daniel and his three friends were considered part of this group that Nebuchadnezzar had just ordered to be destroyed. Daniel and his three friends face an impossible obstacle. You ever wonder why sometimes you face impossible obstacles? It's not an accident. Because God wants to show himself in impossible obstacles. Oftentimes our impossible obstacles aren't as severe as Daniel's. Our life often is not on the line. But nevertheless, each and every one of us can understand the word impossible. Early in our married life when Barbara and I started having children, we had ours in quick succession. Boom, boom, boom. I think our parents and in-laws thought we were crazy. And oh, it was fun, but it was also a challenge to have them as close as we did with each other, including challenge financially. Those of you who have children know it really doesn't make any much, make any difference how much income you have. It's all gone when you have kids. And ours was especially gone often. One period of time, Barb and I talk about it a lot. We were just low. And I can't remember all the circumstances, but we were like at week three and we had to get another week and we literally had no funds. It's like we'd already gone to the couch to check the cushions. We'd already gone to see if we could rob all the change. And we were literally, everything was paid, but we just didn't have enough for food for this last week. Uh, we had venison and goose in the freezer, which was okay, but it's sometimes nice to flesh that out a little bit. So we prayed. And we didn't tell anybody, we just made it a matter of prayer. And we started praying in the morning, and that afternoon our doorbell rang, and a friend of ours came and just had a bunch of produce for us. It was just amazing. God broke through. Now, for us, that was meaningful. And when we said grace at our evening meal that night, we really thanked the Lord for providing for us. And we looked at our table, everything was off the land. Our meat was off the land. All of our produce was off the land. And we were just so thankful because we saw that as God's hand breaking through in our situation. We tried to do what we could do and we had no solution. Now that's minor compared to what Daniel faced. But each and every one of us find ourselves at times facing what appears to be an impossible obstacle. Daniel's is here in verse 13. When it's recorded for us, they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. They hadn't done anything to deserve that. They hadn't done anything to create that circumstance. But that's the circumstance in which they're in. One of my favorite passages of scripture is an Old Testament passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I've shared it with you many times. 
And in Second Chronicles chapter 20, we find Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, facing an impossible obstacle. He is just about to get creamed in this chapter. There's three foreign invaders coming in from all directions. And there's no way out. And so Jehoshaphat prays. And at the end of his prayer, he says in verse 12, O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on thee. This last week, just as we, uh, several of us pastors gather and pray together every week. And, and in our prayer time, one of the things we we're doing is just recounting all the times God has broken through in our lives. So many ways. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons why he allows us to hit impossible obstacles is to simply have happened to us what happened to Jehoshaphat when he said, we're powerless, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. Simple as that. Because God wants to show himself through impossible circumstances. And that's where Daniel and his three friends are. Well, we come to verses 14 through 23. And it's interesting to me that the Bible often shows us God's people in impossible circumstances. And when we find ourselves in impossible circumstances, the Bible doesn't show God's people getting into a fetal position, going underneath the kitchen table and just waiting there for God. Daniel actually does take some action steps here. He takes steps toward a solution. But we're going to see the major step that he takes. The first thing he does is just tries to assess what is this going on? What's the situation? So in verse 14 it says that he goes to this guy named Arioch. Who's the captain of the bodyguard. And he says to Arioch in verse 15. For what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Arioch, what's going on? Why this drastic order? What have all of us done that deserves this order for us to be put to death? Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. The next thing that Daniel does is he actually requests to go before Nebuchadnezzar. And verse 16 says, Daniel went in and requested of the king in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. So here we find Daniel first assessing the situation. Then he goes to the king himself and says, can we have some more time? And then the main thing that he does is in verses 17 and 18. They pray. And one of the truths that we see here in Daniel 2 When we face impossible obstacles is to pray. When we face impossible obstacles, we need to pray. 
And then when God breaks through, when we find success, then it's time to praise. And we find Daniel doing both here. He prays and he praises. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel went into his house and informed his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter. So that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. They pray. I love the first word of the next verse. Because if you look at verse 19, what's the first word? Then. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. God answers. God breaks through. God breaks through this impossible obstacle. Who would ever think that God would break through and show Daniel both the dream and the interpretation. And that's what he does. We're going to look at the dream in two weeks. Daniel. Overwhelmed with what God has just done. Turns success toward God in praise. Look at all the terms For what all the examples of praise here. Praise is declaring who God is. Praise is speaking back to God who he is and all of his attributes. It's declaring who he is and what he has done. And that's what Daniel does here. Look at these words of praise. Wisdom and power belong to him. God You are wise. God, you are powerful. It's he who changes times and epics. He is the one who removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men. It's he who reveals profound and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Meaning everything's clear to him. While we might be in the dark, everything's clear to him. God, you have given wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we requested of you. You have made known to us the king's matter. You see, God is always the subject of praise. And one of the main reasons why every Sunday we join together as a church family is singing. Is that singing to God enables us to praise God. And you'll notice that the music that we choose always talks about who God is in all of his mighty works and his attributes and what he does. Sometimes praise doesn't come natural to us. I don't, it's easy for us to ask God for things, but to praise him becomes more difficult for some reason. We're just not used to praise. And when we sing together, we're actually focusing on his character, on his attributes, and his mighty acts. And we're we're not singing to each other, we're not singing to ourselves, we're singing to him. Declaring, we're doing the same thing that Daniel does here. It's so important for us when God breaks through in our lives, to give him the praise that is due him. That's what Daniel does. When he hits an impossible obstacle, he prays. I have been so blessed in my life to have some godly mentors throughout my life. 
on Tuesday morning, I hope to spend some time with one of my long-term mentors, a, a man that has mentored me clear back to my first year of college. Another one of my mentors has gone to be with Jesus, and I've mentioned him to you many times, Bob Sahlstrom. And Bob was such a dear mentor to me. We met in Bob and his wife Clara's home every week for five years. And one of the things that, that Bob impressed on me is to always pray. That guy prayed all the time. And it was so common for him to say, well, let's pray. Regardless of where we were, uh, regardless of what the circumstance was, let's just pray right now. And I can, we prayed on street corners, we prayed in restaurants, we prayed at church, it, we pray in the hallway, I'd see him in the hallway at Dallas Seminary, we'd pray there, let's pray, let's talk to God about it, let's pray. And he, he just, let's pray, boom, we're doing it, just consistently. And one of the things that we learn here from Daniel chapter 2, is our main response when we hit impossible obstacles should be the same main response that should be the same response that Daniel had, and that is to take it to God. Because God has a purpose for us when we face impossible obstacles. He wants to show himself in a way that after he's broken through, we clearly say, Well, that was God. Because there's no other way. That was God. God's hand was at work. God did that. And he magnifies himself. You know what's interesting? When God does break through, Daniel always takes the focus off of himself and puts it back to God in praise. And he doesn't get proud about it. As we come to the end of this section... In verses 24 through 30, we see that there's no room for pride. When God breaks through and works, there's no room for pride in us. There certainly isn't in Daniel. He doesn't get all proud about himself. He gives God praise for the success. It's interesting here in verses 24, 30, that there's one guy who's going to try to take credit for being able to answer the dream and the interpretation, but it's not Daniel. Look with me at verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. So, Here's what happens. Daniel realizes he knows the dream and the interpretation. He goes to this guy, Arioch, who's supposed to kill him, and says, don't kill anybody. I, I can give the king the dream and the interpretation. Now look what Arioch does in the very next verse. When we come to verse 25, Arioch hurriedly brings Daniel into the king's presence. And this is what he says. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. Man, is he quick to take credit. I found the answer. He didn't find anything. Daniel came to him. But I found the answer, Nebuchadnezzar. I've got it. And the king says to Daniel, are you able to tell me both the dream and the interpretation? 
And Daniel answers him in verse 27. As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, diviners are able to declare it to the king. He reminds him, none of these occult members could tell you a thing. Remember what they had told, what the occult members had told Nebuchadnezzar back in verse 11? No one could declare this except the gods. Little did they know how much truth they spoke. It's not the gods, it's the God. And Daniel's pointing that out. He said, these guys couldn't do it, but there's one who can. And so Daniel continues on and says, however, verse 28, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he's made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in latter days. And he goes on and says, Nebuchadnezzar, yes, this has nothing to do with me. Verse 30, the mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. It's because God broke through. It's because God had a purpose to tell you what this dream is about. All three of my boys started out their elementary school uh, experience at a school called Bowman Woods Elementary. The Bowman Woods Bobcats. And when each of them hit fourth grade, I don't know if they still do this, but they had something called the Invention Convention. Oh, was that quite uh, a, a big deal at Bowman Woods. And I can remember going to the invention convention and looking at these fourth grade inventions, thinking to myself, uh, good job, mom and dad. There's no way a kid could have come up with this invention. There's no way. I was really proud of my middle son, Ethan, for his invention. He came up with it all by himself. It was born out of real circumstance in his life. Very common when you have all boys in your house. There was always lots of arguments about food. Uh, like how much do each of us get? And it, everything would be measured literally with rulers. Everything would be measured out. And there's always lots of arguments about how much do we get? And at one point in time, Barbara had a can of peanuts. It's not like, this is the old days. You know, you, you don't have this little flip tab. You actually had to use a can opener. And you open the can of peanuts. And there was a little jagged edge on the can. And as the boys were all diving into the peanut can, Ethan caught that jagged edge of that can and put a deep gash into his hand. It was bleeding profusely. We had to take him to the emergency room. And we had this big bill from the emergency room doctor for his gash. So Ethan took the bill from the emergency room and put that right up on his placard for his invention. And he invented what was called the can guard. And all the kid did was take some weather stripping and put it around the can. And it worked great. The weather stripping fit perfectly around the rim of the can. It was just awesome. He actually got to go to the next level for his can guard. Now, I, I thought, good job, son. But some of, I couldn't even understand some of the projects. I mean, there were some very hardworking parents at the invention convention. <laughs> and yet, even though the father did it or the mother did it, the kid's kind of taken the cred for it. 
And you know what? When God breaks through, when our Heavenly Father breaks through and gives success in impossible circumstances, it's not time for us to take the credit. It's simply time to magnify Him and to see what God has done. I don't know what is going on in each of all of our lives here today, but I do know that there's some in this room who are facing what appears to be impossible obstacles. And we're reminded from Daniel chapter 2, it's not a mistake. God has a reason in it. And one of the reasons why God allows his people to face impossible obstacles is that that's when he shows his greatness. Because we come to the end of it and we say only God could have worked in that way in this situation. If you're here today and you've got burdens on your heart, I encourage you. We have a prayer room immediately behind us. One of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders, will be back there. And you can go pray. Or, or maybe you want to find out more about how you can know for sure you're in right relationship with God. How God loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay for your sin. And then he rose again from the dead, proving that he's God. And through faith in him, we can become forgiven from our sin and be in right relationship with God. And we've got some material we'd like to give to you. If you'd like to find out more about that, you can just ask our elder for some of that material about about what, uh, about what how God sent Jesus for us. Father, we thank you for your word and how you work in the midst of impossible obstacles. We thank you that you, as your people, give your people the opportunity to praise you for your great work in the midst of the impossible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.